guys, welcome to What's the Word and What's Right channel and Lunch Plus uh, broadcast that we have daily. We welcome, like, subscribe, share the broadcast. Today we're answering the question, can I lose my salvation? Oh man, this is a big topic and a lot of questions about this. There's a lot. And uh, I want to make it as clear for you as I can. Uh, it won't go into every single detail, but it'll give you the basis for it. Can I lose my salvation? And as I'm talking about it today, one of the most interesting things is uh, the truth be told, I have been on both sides of this. I have thought that I couldn't lose it. I've thought that I could lose it. And I probably have flipped back and forth a couple of times. But over time, I feel like I've come to a very solid answer on this. And uh, I want to share that with you today. Uh, and here's one of the things about it. It is a question that's asked a lot. And it's good for people to know the answer to this question. Why? Well, considering what hangs in the balance. If I can or can't lose my salvation, literally, heaven and hell hangs in the balance. So either an eternity in fellowship with God or an eternity in damnation and torture, uh, we want to know. Is this, hey, can it happen? Is it easy if it can happen? Let's answer that question today and uh, let's come to a place of confidence in God. It is a very serious question. Now, can I lose my salvation? The first thing that we need to answer is, and I'm going to jump into answering that question, but we do need to lay down a couple of foundations about this in order to get to the answer. The first thing is, what's salvation? You know, what exactly is salvation? To be saved from spiritual death through faith in Jesus Christ is salvation. In other words, salvation is to be saved from a spiritual death that is guaranteed if we don't have Jesus Christ, if we don't have Jesus as our Lord and Savior. The Bible tells us this, that Jesus said, I am the door and no one comes to the Father but by me. No matter what any celebrity says, no matter what anybody tells you, no matter how you feel about, well, I've done good in my life. Jesus said, nobody comes to the Father and to be saved in context of it, except they come through Jesus Christ. They come through him as Lord and Savior. We'll look at that a little bit more, but what happens when you are saved? What happens when you receive salvation? Well, let's look at two different areas. When you receive salvation, it comes with a price, so to speak, okay? You give some things. Now, those things you have already. Uh, you give a choice, and I'm going to show you that, but you also receive some things, all right? So let's look at what you give first, and then we'll also look at what you receive. When you are born again, you give this. You give, number one, your faith or your belief that Jesus came back to life by the power of God. In other words, he was supernaturally resurrected from the dead by the power of God. This is important that we believe that because if we don't have supernatural power at work, then we don't have supernatural power at work in our own lives. So when we, when we are born again, the first thing we get, uh, give is belief. We give our faith to God. Lord, I believe that you brought Jesus physically up from the dead by a supernatural power. This is a symbol that he, Jesus, and we 
are supernaturally made right with God. That he was made right with God and that he is the son of God and that we are made right with God and we are made the children of God. This is, we're believing that supernatural power is at work on our behalf as it was in Jesus' behalf. And so we believe that God raised him from the dead. The second thing that we give is this. We give, and hear this, we give our life in a commitment to Jesus as our Lord and our, the director of our life. Uh, Romans chapter 10 and verse 9 and 10 says this, confess Jesus Christ as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Those two things to be saved. Believe, confess him as Lord and believe that God brought him back to life. And so when we confess that Jesus is our Lord, we're not just like saying words that don't mean anything. No, we're connecting those words to the belief in our heart. He's my Lord. He sits on the throne of my life and I'll do whatever he says. So we give our faith, but we also give ourselves in a commitment by confessing Jesus as Lord. In that commitment, and I want to give you this, these are the things, if he's the Lord of our life, here's the things that happen. And I want you to see this I want you to see what these commitments are because it's important for us to make a real commitment. But understand this, everything God asks of you, he'll give you the power supernaturally to bring it about. So in other words, if it seems like it's too much, don't worry about that. God will make you powerful to walk those things out. So what is salvation? To be saved from spiritual death through faith in Jesus Christ, we give our faith and belief, and we give our life as a commitment to Jesus as our Lord or the director of our lives. In that commitment, what do we give? We give ourselves to repent and change from our old ways of life. I'm not going to live in sin anymore. And, and Lord, I'm trusting you. You're going to have to help me, and he will. All right? The second thing is this. We choose to live holy and not sin, which is going along with that, but it's under that commitment. Three, we choose to commit to serve God and serve others. Again, you know, uh, I've had some conversations recently where people were saying, like, man, that's, that's hard for me to love on people when they're being like that. I was like, I know, but the Lord will give you that power to do it. The fourth thing there is we give the immoral part of us our corrupted flesh, uh, and we and understand that the immoral part of us, the corrupted flesh, will be tested, and it will be stretched as you grow in God's morals. So when I commit to Jesus as my Lord, I'm like, there's going to be habits I have to I have to quit doing. I have to put down. God'll help me, but I'll probably feel it in my corrupted flesh. I'm going the immoral part of me is going to feel these changes and I commit to give those things. Listen, don't fret about all this because all these things that may seem like they're hard to do in God they're not. God will empower you to do all of this supernaturally. Now, what do you receive in salvation? This is awesome. The first thing, three major things that I'll give to you, and you could break this down in so many different ways because it's so big, it's so vast what you receive. The first thing is a relationship and fellowship with God Almighty. A relationship and fellowship with God Almighty. 
in that you have rights and righteousness. You have rights in your relationship with God, and you are made right. In other words, you're made right with God. You are made right with God, and because of that, you have peace. Have you ever just like, I need peace in my life? When you walk with God, you can have that peace. You receive it in your salvation. The second thing is this, adoption into the spiritual family of God. You are literally received into the family, and in that family, guess what? You have an inheritance. Actually, the will, uh, you, there's a will for you, right? There's a, there's a New Testament or a new will. You have an inheritance. Put it in the comments right now. I have an inheritance in God. I have an inheritance. What's in that inheritance? Well, to be saved, the word saved literally means this, to be in fellowship with God, to be protected, healed, prospered, delivered and restored. Hear that. When we're born again, the in, part of the inheritance that we get, it covers all these areas. I get to walk and talk with God and be in his family. I have fellowship with him. I abide in him and he abides in me. Next thing, I am supernaturally protected. That's a part of your inheritance when you're born again, when you're saved. You are healed. You've already been healed by the stripes of Jesus. You can be supernaturally healed. That's part of your inheritance. You have a right to it. You are prospered or made to do well. In other words, I can have the prosperity in every area of life. This is why Jesus said, thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy in John 10, 10. He said, but I am come that you might have life to the full till it overflows. In other words, it's not just getting by. It's thriving, an overflow of prosperity in every area of life, mental, social, financial, physical. You have a prosperity. You're delivered. Anything that comes up against you, you are delivered from that. Any bondage you've had in your life. Through Christ, your inheritance right now, not someday down the road, right now in Christ, you can have an inheritance to be delivered from whatever it is you need to be delivered from. And if you've been in a place where you had lack, a part of your inheritance is to be restored. So, yes, when we accept Christ, we give our faith and a commitment, but we receive fellowship with God in the family of God, adoption there, and an inheritance, and we receive an eternal life, a life that goes on forever with God, watch this, in heaven instead of the torture in hell. All right, that's a lot hanging in the balance, and that's why I wanted to cover that. We need to understand how important this question is. If we, if we can lose our salvation, we're losing a lot in salvation. We're losing a ton of stuff. You know, that's very important for us to see and understand and understand why knowing the answer to this question is important. Now, one of the things that we're going to talk about is how, how would that happen? If it's possible to lose it, how would it happen? Is it easy to do? We're going to talk about that tomorrow, so watch, watch tomorrow's uh, video as well and see about that. All right, now look at this. As you can see, losing the salvation would change your life on this earth and in, e in eternity. Now, here's the question. If it's that important, if it's, if it's that important, 
where do we get a proper answer from? Because I don't want to just, you know, walk down the street and say, hey, can I lose my salvation? I don't, I don't, I honestly, I don't want you just listening to me to figure out if, if you know, it's not just that. I'm going to give you a source that is reliable. I'm going to give you a source that you can lean on. We need to have some sort of standard that has the weight of eternity on it that is supernatural, right? We, we don't need to just get our answer from uh, some old person that has no idea. We don't need to get it from somebody who, who just has corruption in their flesh like me. We need to find it in a place that will stand. Uh, find it in a place that is solid and secure. You know, truth is, I've missed it in my life, but I personally have found the place that's solid. I've, I've found that thing. You can find that thing, and I can show you why. So where should we get it, our answer? Because it's such an important question. I want to give you today the best source of that answer that I can and why. Here's the answer to that. The Bible has the answers for us as a standard. But here's the question. Why should the Bible be our standard? Because I understand that people watching this, some people, some people uh, may not be believers. They might not be saved. They might not be Christian. Christians. I understand that. And they would be saying, okay, you're a Christian. You believe that. And I am a Christian. I do believe the Bible. But, but why should I believe that? Well, let me give you some reasons for it. I'm not going to go into the fullness of this answer, but I'm going to give you the basis for it. So one of the first thing, I'm going to give you three major important points here. Number one is the Bible does have answers for us as our standard, as a solid foundation. But why is it our standard? Number one, it's God-breathed. The Bible, every scripture is inspired by God. Now, I understand that's important to me. That's important to a Christian, to a believer in Jesus Christ. But to somebody who doesn't believe in the Bible or doesn't believe in Jesus Christ, that may mean nothing to them. So I get that. I understand that. To me, it means everything. But to them, it might not mean that yet. So I'm going to give you some other reasons. And so it is God-breathed. That's one thing that it claims is that the Scriptures are all breathed by God. I believe that's 2 Timothy 3.16. Here's another thing. All right, The Bible is a historical document. And it's one of the most documented historical documents in history ever, ever. Uh, let me give you an example of this. So a lot of times we will take historical, you know, when we look at history books, a lot of times some of those references in history books that we just accept as complete truth is we may have three or four references to something in history, and that's it. We'll write history books off of it. The New Testament alone has over 24,000 manuscripts or pieces of manuscripts that are original. Over 24,000, to give you a contrast, the most documented ancient text that we have outside of the Bible, the most documented is Homer's Iliad, the Iliad by Homer. In that, in that text, literally, there's only 653 copies. But the New Testament has over 24,000 complete and partial. And that's not even including the Old Testament as well. We have so many records. And watch this. This is the crazy thing about the Bible is when they were written, they overlap each other 
practically perfectly. The only differences are 1% of a difference, and most of those are simply what page something was written on. Maybe there's, there's a dot that over, like in the English, like a dot over an I might be missing in this one, not this one, or a period might be missing. Now that's, that's in English. There are so many records, and they overlap so much, it, it almost creates an exactly perfect document in our human history. But he, even that, that might not mean too much to you. That should help you, but that might not mean, mean the most. Here's the one that I think is one of the best in terms of proof that the Bible is our standard, it is solid, and watch this, it's supernatural. It is, it's God-inspired, and that's this. It's proven to be accurate, supernatural, and perfect in its wisdom. All right, well, how is that? How is the Bible so special? How is it in that way? Here's how. Fulfilled prophecies. Fulfilled prophecies. Fulfilled prophecies, and when, when the Bible would actually make a prophetic word, that you would see whether or not that would come to pass or not. Actually, the Bible is approximately 28 to 29% prophecy. Like there are so many, some of them are duplicated prophecies, but it's 28, 29% prophecy. That means if they don't come to pass, then it's an error. But here's the thing. Right now, it's batting a thousand. It hadn't missed one. It hadn't missed one prophecy. Matter of fact, there's over 500 prophecies that have already come true. You know, over 500 that have happened exactly. And some of these prophecies are scary accurate. I mean, they are so accurate. There's some hist there are some prophecies in the Bible and that actually history documents, but the Bible was written hundreds of years before history happened. So history records the truth and, and the uh, percentages of this or the uh, basically the odds of it being right are so big it's practically impossible that it wasn't supernatural in its origin. Here's one of the things. At the latest I've read, Jesus actually, I'm just going to give you an example of this. Jesus actually fulfilled 109 prophecies about himself. So Jesus had 109 prophecies written, written before he was born and about him over and or he had more than that, but he had 109 that he's already fulfilled. 109. Do you know how hard that would be? Let me give you an example of that. If he fulfilled only eight, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. If he fulfilled only eight prophecies, not 108, not 109, only eight, right? The odds of him fulfilling eight of those prophecies are one in 100 trillion. One in 100 trillion. That's a thousand million is a billion. A thousand billion is a trillion, and it's 100 of those. One in 100 trillion. Here's what that looks like. If you took silver dollars and covered the whole state of Texas with silver dollars, and they were stacked two feet deep, right? Two feet, one in 100 trillion, the odds of Jesus fulfilling eight prophecies about himself is one in 100 trillion. Here's what that looks like. Whole state of Texas, two feet deep with silver dollars, 
one of those silver dollars is marked. Somewhere in Texas, somewhere, anywhere, it gets thrown, mixed up. It could be on the top or the bottom or anywhere in between, east, west, north, south, 200, you know, whole state of Texas, two feet deep of silver dollars. One is marked. You let a man walk out into there at, and just when he feels lucky, reach down, grab one silver dollar, and that's the very one that's marked. That's the odds of Jesus fulfilling eight prophecies, and he's already fulfilled 109. And there's prophecies not just about Jesus, but historical prophecies that have also continued. The Bible's batting a thousand. How can you do that without having supernatural intervention? It's not possible. Because of this, we see that the Bible is truly a God-inspired thing. And that's why it's our standard. That's why it's our foundation. Because of this, we use the Bible as our standard. There's more on the reliability and accuracy of the Bible, uh, but of course that would be another video. It just goes deeper and deeper into how uh, godly and supernatural it is. So now that we've set those foundations of the importance of salvation and we've set the foundation of what's our standard, and that standard is a truly God-inspired book. Now let's look at, so can we lose our salvation? So now, let's look at 1 John chapter 5, verse 16 through 18. <laughs> John Lee said, how did you come up with these comparisons? Somebody else did that. I'm repeating their study and work. Praise the Lord. <laughs> 1 John chapter 5, verse 16 through 18. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, and hear these words, not leading to death. Now, death, as we've seen it all of our life, has just been a physical or a fleshly death. But the Bible, in its supernatural God-breathed state, shows us that death is not just physical death. There's other deaths. There's spiritual death. Matter of fact, we see that in Genesis. When Adam and Eve sinned, you actually see that they died that day. That's what the Lord said. Physically, they didn't die that day, but physically they began to die that day. No, their spiritual death was a disconnection from God. Their spiritual death, you can put that in the comments, spiritual death is a disconnection from God. And then that spiritual disconnection, God being our life source, actually starts to work physical death, financial death, uh, uh, emotional death, mental death, that, that disconnection from our life source who is God, that spiritual death actually starts to work all the other workings of death in our life. That's why it says the wages of sin is death. In other words, the price for sin is we start walking in a disconnection. So he says, when you see a, a brother committing a brother, a brother is saying this is a person that is in the family of God. They've been born again. Not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life to those sin who commit sin not leading to death. In other words, there's sins that we have done in our life and, and may do in our life, and it will not break that connection 
of the family of God. We'll still be in the family. We'll still be a brother. In other words, it separates us from some of the fullness of life of God. It separates us from some of the benefits, but it doesn't separate us from God himself. Now watch this, the next part. There is a sin leading to death. All right, so that sin leads us to a spiritual disconnection from God for all eternity. He says, I do not say that he should make a request for this. In other words, he's, he's saying we're not to pray for that person. If we, we shall pray for somebody who's sinning, not unto death. In other words, they're committing sins. They need to get back on track. But if somebody has committed a sin that breaks that, if a brother, hear this, just the wording in this one verse, if a brother who was in the family of God commits a sin that leads to an eternal separation, he's saying don't pray for that person. It's too late for them. Okay, So we're seeing already in this first verse, can we lose our salvation? The answer is yes. I'm going to give you some more, uh, more scriptures for this. Verse 17, he says, all unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not leading to death. There is a sin not leading to death. We know that no one who is born of God sins, but he who was born of God keeps him. Uh, he who was born of God keeps him, and the evil one does not touch him. In other words, what this is saying is uh, there's a sin not leading to death, but what God does is he, he set up a way for when we sin, we see this in 1 John uh, ch uh, chapter 1, verse 8, 9, and 10, and it, there it shows us a picture of sin uh, before, sin now, and sin in the future, and what do you do with it? And so what we see is there's ways for us to have sin in our life, and God, praise the Lord, has provided a way for us to get out of that sin that's not leading to an eternal spiritual death. But if we, cre and, and watch this, he's telling us so that we can, he's telling us to pray for those who sin so that they will get back in track. They will get rid of that sin, come back into that fellowship with God, but they can be over there doing that and still be born again, still go to heaven, but they don't need to stay there. They need to not make that choice because that's always going to result in things they don't want. It breaks uh, their inheritance, so to speak. In other words, they still know God, but it's not going to be operating in their life like it should be. There's going to be a disconnection of the benefits but they still are in the family of God. In other words, they're still a brother. But if they commit the sin, and this is what we're going to talk about tomorrow, the unpardonable sin, the unpardonable sin or the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, or according to this verse, the sin that leads to death, he's saying don't even pray for them because it's too late for that person. Now, here's one of the things I want to give you. If you can lose your salvation... One of the things that, and I'm going to give you some more proofs of it, but if you can uh, lose your salvation in that way, then immediately people go, I can lose this and I cannot go to heaven. And, and what happens is the devil wants people to fear, right? God's telling us these things so that we won't fear. It, it's not as easy as you may think, yet on some cases it is as easy as you think. But praise the Lord, here's what, it is, it is easy and it's not easy. And I'm going to answer that tomorrow. Basically, know this. 
If you will just purpose yourself to do a couple of things and go after God, you'll never get to that place. There are things that God has given us to save us from that, and the majority of people don't even qualify to make this decision. We're going to talk about that tomorrow. What is the unpardonable sin? How do I, how do I commit it, and how do I stay away from it? All right? It's not as easy as you think. However, the beginning of the path is easier than you think, and that's what we need to watch ourselves and, and be very sober about. Okay, now watch this. What he's saying here is that while that person's in the family of God, God keeps him from the evil one. Just like it's saying, he's saying in John 17, 3, or not 17, 3, but in John chapter 17, you see that, that God says this, I'm not going to remove you from this world. It's somewhere around verse 20. I'm not going to remove you from this world, but I will keep you. From the evil one. In other words, I will keep you, I will help you, I will protect you, but you've got to walk in my way. He's telling us these things so that we will know there's a way that that is right and there's a way that's wrong, and it's your choice. I, this is what we see from the full counsel of the word. I'm not, God says, I'm not going to make you a robot. You have a choice. And I'm telling you these things so that you make the right choices, so that you walk the right way. And you're going to see that. Watch this, Matthew 24, 10, and 13. At that time, Jesus talking, at that time, many will fall away and they will betray one another and hate one another. He's talking about the end times. At that time, many will fall away. Many will fall away from the faith is what we see in context. Look at verse 13, Matthew 24, 13. But the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. So what we see in context is God's telling us people will fall away from the faith, but the one who endures will be saved. In other words, and God says, look, if you're desiring to endure, I will empower you to endure. So don't worry about your endurance. Look towards me. Set your eyes on me. I'll help you. I'll strengthen you. I'll show you, but you must humble yourself to my way. Now, why would he tell us that we need to understand that we should be enduring to the end and tell us that the ones who endure will be saved? If God was going to supernaturally hold you back and make you a robot and make all the choices for you. That's not ever what the Bible says. He's not keeping you from your own choice. And this is one thing to see about salvation is did you make your own personal decision to enter into fellowship with God? Yes. And you have a right to make your own personal decision to enter to exit out of that relationship, out of that family as well. But he's saying, although you may be tempted to do that in the end times, put on endurance. I'll help you. I'll strengthen you. I'll show you how to do it, but you must do it my way. You must make me Lord. Okay, and that starts to give us a clue as to how this would be reversed. How would we lose it? We go from God being the Lord and the director of our life to God, I'm not listening to you anymore. I don't want you to be that. And when we move to that in our heart willingly after we've experienced some things, and we'll talk about that more tomorrow, after we've experienced, that's how you would lose that salvation is you would, you would break the seal of Jesus Christ being your Lord. Now let's look at this. John eight thirty one. He says, so Jesus was saying to the Jews who had believed, if 
you know, put that in all caps in the comments. If, if, all caps, if. A lot of people don't use this verse this way, but it definitely shows us something. If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. See, a person that continues is a person that endures to the end. In other words, they keep and stay in the word of God, making him the Lord of their life. If, then you are truly disciples. But if you don't continue in that, if is showing us we have a choice in it. God already knows what you're going to do. God knows if you're going to choose him or not. God knows if you're going to uh, you know, deny him or not. God knows if you're going to lose salvation or not. God already knows all of that. But he said, it's all in your hands. I can see it because he says, I'm om- omniscient. I know everything, but I'm telling you, I'm going to give you the tools. I'm going to give you the strength, and I'm going to help you so that that'll never happen to you. But you still have the choice. If you continue, Mark chapter 10 and verse 9. What therefore, uh, this, is a, this is a verse that people utilize to say that it, we can never lose our salvation. It says, what therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. Now, this is used in the context of marriage. What he's basically saying here in Mark chapter 10, he's given us some instruction about marriage. And what he's saying is, I'm the one who joined the man and the wife together. He says, don't let yourself be separated. Now, why is he even telling us this verse? See, if God was using this verse to tell us that he would keep us and and we would never have any choice over it, then the same power that would keep us in that salvation would keep the people in their marriage. But we know that people get divorced all the time. Because what he's telling us, he's telling us to make the choice. Rely on my covenant. Rely on my power. Endure in your marriage and don't let yourselves and your thinking or any other man separate what I have put together. But you do have a choice, which is why I'm telling you. I wrote this down. This scripture actually is a command to uphold the covenant, not a promise that it will never be broken. This scripture is a command to the people to uphold what God has joined together, not a promise that it will never be broken. This, and, and this really helps us when we see that. Look at 1 Timothy 4.1. This is a huge verse in it. But the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, explicitly says, in later times some will fall away from the faith. That's about as plain as you can get. Can some fall away from the faith? Can some fall away from their salvation? The Holy Spirit says, this is going to happen. This is going to happen, especially in later times. And how does it happen? Here's a part of it. Paying attention to deceitful spirits and the doctrines of demons. All right, so now, I can feel it right now. People are saying this like, oh man, now I'm concerned about it. Now I'm worried about it. Don't be worried about it. Don't be worried about it. Matter of fact, your concern over that is one of the greatest things that you can have going on. Your sober-mindedness is actually one of the best things. God will empower you to stay if you have a heart to follow him. Do you have a heart to follow him? If you do, and you're going to do what he asks you to do, you've got no concerns about losing that salvation. He will help you. It, It will be that. It will be such a way that you will find power and strength in time of need. Now watch this. 
So, in, in that verse, 1 Timothy 4.1, we see so clearly that the Holy Spirit says this, right? So, we're kept from evil if we choose to be kept from evil. You, you know, think about that in John 17, in that verse I mentioned earlier. Jesus himself, who could not sin, who prayed with faith, said, you are kept from the evil one. And this brings up a great point. Who has the right to choose what happens in the earth? Many people think that God is completely sovereign. God chooses it all. But here's the thing. In God's sovereignty, which he is sovereign, he chose to give the earth to you and me. In Psalms 115, it says, I think it's 115, 16. It, it says there in Psalms 115 that the heavens are the heavens of the, of the Lord, but the earth he's given to the sons of men. And so what that means is you and I have a choice. We choose. So when Jesus prayed that I'll keep you from the evil one, we know that not every person has been kept from the evil one. So then why then has evil come upon them? Why then has people fallen away? Because God has not made us robots. He's made us people with a choice. If we know the promise and the inheritance that we have and we apply it by faith, we can walk kept of the Lord. And it's the same way in our life. But it is something we need to be sober about. Look at this verse, Luke chapter 12 and verse 10 and we see, and everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But he who blasphemes the Holy Spirit, and hear this, it will not be forgiven him. It will not be forgiven. So there is a sin that will not be forgiven. That's what we're going to talk about in detail tomorrow, but I want to give you the basis for it today. That's a sin. So see, that sin can't reside in heaven. That sin that's unforgivable can't reside in the presence of God. That sin that's unforgivable can't reside in a connection with God. So there will be people that blaspheme the Holy Ghost, and there's scripture that shows us this. We'll dive into it tomorrow. What is the impardonable sin? How do I commit it? How do I keep away from it, right? We're going to look into that. What is blasphemy of the Holy Ghost? So let's look at the basis of it just real quickly. What is this blasphemy? John 3, 16 through 18. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life to be saved. Verse 17, For God did not send the Son in the, into the world to judge the world, but that the world through him uh, might be saved through him. And verse 18, In other words, he didn't come in to condemn it. He came in to save it. He's not looking to tell you how bad you are. He's looking to, to show you how he made you good, right? That's what the ultimate goal that Jesus had was. All right, verse 18. He who believes in him, Jesus, is not judged. He who, and what, a, what a glorious thing. When we believe on Jesus, he's not holding your mess against you. He's not holding your sin against you. We're not judged for that. We're not condemned. But he who does not believe, watch this, hear this. He who does not believe has been judged already. In other words, the person that never accepts Jesus 
is already in judgment because they had sin that can't be together with God. They're already walking in it because they were born into a world that was given over to the devil by the sin of Adam. And so through this flesh, sin came into the world through one man's sin, and all of us were born into it. Well, that would be horrible if Jesus hadn't done something about it, but Jesus did do something about it. God did something about it. He sent Jesus to die for us to take all of that sin on him, and that way you and I don't have to carry it. But here's what I want you to see. If we never accept Jesus, then we've said, I don't want to part with that, and we're already walking in judgment. Praise God, he's already done something about it. We don't have to stay in that place. He says, he, he's already judged and already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. He didn't believe. He didn't do his job to believe in him. And that's it. So who, who doesn't have the ability to believe? Nobody. Everybody is given the measure of faith in Romans chapter 12. Everybody has the measure of faith. Everybody has the ability to believe. So that doesn't matter if we're born poor, if we're born, you know, black or white. Doesn't matter what side of the tracks we grew up on, you know, what, what school we went to, how smart we are. And then none of that stuff matters. Everybody has the ability to believe. And if they'll simply believe on Jesus, it's a free gift of salvation for every person that believes and calls on him as, as Lord and Savior of their life. All right, so now we see, though, that if they don't believe, they already are attached to a judgment for eternity. And regardless of how they got there, God did something about it. But in order to get to that salvation, they must believe on Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And then when the disciples had believed, we see something happen. In John chapter 20 and verse 22, it says this, and when he had said this, he breathed on them, Jesus breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. So in other words, what we see in Scripture, I'm going to read you a couple of Scriptures that show this. When we are born again and we come into salvation, we receive the Holy Spirit. Now this is not the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This is the seal of the Holy Spirit. This is the seal of the Holy Spirit. Look at this verse, 2 Corinthians 1, 21 and 22. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and anointed us is God. God's the one who establishes us, makes us solid in Jesus. God anoints us. In other words, he blesses us in, in power in every way. Verse 22 who also sealed us and gave us the Spirit in our hearts as a pledge. In other words, God said, I'm going to show you that you're mine. I'm going to show you that you're solid, and I'm going to do it by giving you the Holy Spirit. Watch this, in your heart, not baptized with the Holy Spirit. He gives us the Spirit in our hearts, in our inner man, right? And so that's a pledge and a seal of the Holy Spirit that you're born again, that you're, that you're baptized. And watch Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, 
the gospel of your salvation, having also believed. So we're definitely talking about salvation and believing on Jesus to be born again. When you believed, you were sealed in Him, in Christ, with the Holy Spirit of promise. In other words, God, it's like uh, in olden days when they would have a letter and they'd, they'd melt the wax and then they'd have a ring that was their signet ring. They'd melt the wax and they would stamp it with their own seal showing that they had the authority to do this, right? And so when we're born again and we walk into salvation, we are sealed with a seal of the Holy Ghost and, but here's the thing, just because we come into his kingdom, God doesn't magically remove our choices. He doesn't remove, in other words, we are free moral agents, right? We are free moral agents. We still get to decide what we will do, what we want to do. We get to decide what, you know, what, what choices, what we think about, what actions we will take. So just because we're sealed by God doesn't mean that God says, that, all right, now you don't have any other choice. You're in my family forever, and that's where you're always going to be. No, we still have a choice. The only person that can break that seal is the person themselves. He says, we're sealed with the Holy Spirit promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance and with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. Can you see that if I reject that seal of the Holy Spirit or I never receive the seal of the Holy Spirit, then I have actually spoken ill in my actions. I have actually blasphemed or I've treated what the Holy Spirit does as light. I've esteemed it lightly. I've despised it. And that's how you break the seal of the Holy Spirit or you blaspheme the Holy Spirit. You either break it after you're saved or you never receive the seal of the Holy Spirit. And that's the sin that can't be forgiven, right? If that person sins unto death after it's been sealed, they can't receive it. Let me read you these scriptures. You'll see it a little bit more. Here's the thing. Blaspheming of the Holy Spirit is breaking this seal by willingly rejecting Jesus. And that's how somebody loses their salvation. That's how uh, the Spirit expressly says or explicitly says that many will fall away from the faith in that day. They will choose because they see the things, they see the storm of life, and they choose not to let Jesus be the Lord. They choose not to keep believing on him, but they willingly choose to go away from him and break the seal of the Holy Spirit and blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Now, is it by accident or under pressure? 1 Timothy 1.13, it says, Even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a, a persecutor and a violent aggressor, yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. In other words, he was ignorant of what he was doing. But once somebody's been born again, and they know what they're doing. They're not under pressure, but they know what they're doing. And they are willingly choosing. They're willingly choosing. And I'm going to give you, a lot of people can't even get to the place where they can make this decision because there are requirements, to. Uh, there are prerequisites to break the seal. In other words, you've got to have tasted of certain things. You, and most I'll tell you, most believers have not even ever gotten to the place of this. And watch this. He says, Hebrews 6, 4 and 6. 
He says, For in the case of those who have once been enlightened, tasted of the heavenly gift, and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the good word of God and the power of the ages to come, and then have fallen away. So see, they can fall away even after they were in the family. It is impossible to renew them again to repentance, since they again crucify to themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. All right, uh, Hebrews 10, 26 through 29. For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Now, some people would say, well, this is talking about if we you know, keep lying and we know that we're lying. But we can see from the context of this passage, that's not what it's talking about. And you're going to see that in a couple of verses. If you actually skip down uh, to verse 29, it says, How much severe punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled under the foot, underfoot the Son of God, has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he is, was sanctified, and has insulted the Spirit of grace? And we see our connector to the blasphemy and breaking of the seal of the Holy Ghost. And you see that that person has willfully decided, I don't consider Christ to be uh, Lord of my life anymore. And I think that the blood of the covenant is not, not holy. They've considered it uh, not holy anymore. They've trampled it underfoot. In other words, they made a willful sin to reject Christ. That's the sin that it's talking about willfully. So what is, here's one of the things. A lot of times, and, and I want to talk about this a little bit. Do you realize that this sin has had more people in the mental institution than many because, because people thought that they uh, lost their salvation. The devil had them in fear, and they start worrying about that and worrying and worrying and worrying. They literally get into the place where they've gone crazy over this. And, and here's the thing. We don't have to worry about it. Watch this. Uh, lost salvation kind of looks like this in Romans chapter 1, 28 and 29. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind, or the King James calls it a reprobate mind. And watch what's the results of that. To do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness and wickedness. Another thing that we can look at is this, 1 John chapter 4, verse 8 and 9. The one who does not love does not know God. In other words, when we cease to be connected with God, love completely is ejected out of our life. Let's keep reading. For God is love. Verse 9, for by this the love of God is manifested in us. When we're a believer, we will have love that manifests in our life. It manifests in our thoughts. It, it help, drives us to do the things of love, right? And that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. If you have lost your salvation, you would be at the place where you were filled with all wickedness, all unrighteousness, and there would be no more love left in your life. So the fact that you're concerned, have I lost my salvation, proves because if you were filled with all wickedness and unrighteousness, you wouldn't even care. You wouldn't care. You would know where you're going, and you wouldn't care because you made that decision willfully, and you wouldn't care about it. 
You just wouldn't care. But because you care, it shows that there's still hope for you, that you are not lost. All, you, may need, you may have had some sins that didn't lead to death, not to an eternal spiritual death. You may need to get those right. You may need to accept Jesus for the first time in your life and, and become a child of God and in the family and receive an inheritance and receive an adoption, but you haven't committed the unpardonable sin if you care about it. It's proof that you still, that you still have hope inside of you and the love of or the love of God inside of you. And so today, can you lose your salvation? Yeah, you can lose it. The Bible shows us that very, very clearly. But it's not something that just happens. It's not something you make a mistake into. No, it's something you do willfully. And if you have a care, Lord, I don't want to go to hell. I love you. I want to go after you. I'm concerned that I may have done it. You haven't done it yet. Praise the Lord. He gives us that hope. And so right now, the thing for all of us to do is let's make that commitment to Christ fresh today. Let's go into his family. Let's be made right with God. God. Let's be made right with him and let's receive what he has for us. I want you to see one last verse. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and I want to read you something here. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 in verse 17 it says that in verse 17 it says we have been made a new creation. When we receive Jesus Christ we're made a completely new creation creation, a new creature. That's the spirit man, the inner man. It's not our physical body that changes immediately. It's the inward man. And you are made a completely new creation when you receive him. Here's what I want you to see. Verse 18, now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through, through Christ. In other words, God has taken, watch this, and for every person in the earth, because of Jesus, He's taken where we've been so low, and he's made us right with God. Now, not everybody's going to walk in that, but everybody can, okay? Everybody can. Matter of fact, the verse says God wants everybody to come into salvation with him. He says, and he's given us a ministry or a service of telling people, you're, you're right with God. You've been made right with God. Just receive him and seal it in your life. And he says, verse 19, namely, hear this, that God was in Christ, he was in Jesus, reconciling the world to himself. Not just believers, not just Christians, God has made every person in the world right if only they'll receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Glory to God. And what's this? Not counting their trespasses or not counting their sins against them. See, a lot of people are out there saying, God's so mad at you and you better repent. God's mad at you. That's not what the Bible says. <laughs> the Bible says he's made you right and he's not holding during this period of time, he's not holding your sins against you. You just have to receive Christ. And if you go on reading, it says, when you receive Christ, you will receive the work that he has done in your life and God will make you right with him. You'll be adopted into the family and you have an inheritance 
that you can walk out from this day forward. You have the great things of God, and you receive what I said earlier, relationship and fellowship, the rights and righteousness, the adoption into the family of God, all the blessings in every area, and you'll have life in eternity with God instead of, he instead of hell. And so right now, let's all of us, let's renew that commitment to God today and just pray this with me. Just say, Jesus... You are the Lord of my life. I make a choice to serve you, to put you on the throne, to make you the director of my life. I won't serve sin and immorality. I'll serve you and holiness. I will serve you and others, the people of the world, the people that you want to save for the rest of my days. Jesus you're the Lord of my life. And I believe that God brought about a power in you when he supernaturally raised you from the dead. And it symbolized that death couldn't hold you, sin couldn't beat you, and when he raised you up, he raised me up. And death couldn't hold me, sin couldn't hold me, in that place of death when I believed on Jesus. Lord, I believe on Jesus today. I believe on your supernatural power that is saving me right now, that's making me whole, and I commit to you fresh today. Jesus, I ask you, baptize me with the Holy Spirit and fire and seal me in my salvation so that I can be with you forever. I receive everything you have for me, my inheritance, my adoption, my eternity with you, and I will serve you in Jesus' name. Amen. Glory to God. I'm so glad you got to join us today. If you prayed that prayer, put some hands up in the comments. You're not the only one. Even if you committed fresh today, even if you've been walking with the Lord for years and years, put a hand up. I committed fresh today to the Lord. I'm expecting everybody in this room that prayed, put a hands up in the comments. But also, if you're watching, let us know. If you said that prayer for the first time, or you recommitted and you needed to say that prayer today, go to whatsright.com. Send us a message. We want to pray for you. We want to support you. We want to show you the love of God and help you grow into everything that God has for you. Glory to God. Look at the hands going up. That's awesome. Praise the Lord. Today, that relationship, even if you had found yourself in sin after, after being saved, that prayer today, if you meant it with your heart, it brings you back into the righteousness of God in Christ, walking in all the benefits and the manifestations of his love in you. Father, we just thank you so much for your goodness and your graciousness, and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. Thank you so much for being with us today. Tomorrow I'm going to talk about the unpardonable sin, blasphemy of the Holy Ghost. What is it exactly? How can it happen? How do we get there to be uh, eligible to make that? That's going to be about tomorrow. That's the wrong graphic. <laughs> that, and we're going to go there tomorrow and look at the details of it, and I'm going to show you how it's easy to get started on the path but it's easy to stay away from it if you'll do certain things. You know, it's not hard to start down the path towards the unpardonable sin, 
right? And we'll talk about that, but it's easy to keep away from it and get right back on the right path. And I'm going to show you what to do. That'll be tomorrow. We praise God for you. I'll see you there. Watch this video about that tomorrow, and we'll see you, we'll see you then. I'm going to hand it over to Buddy. He can uh, do any of the offering today. If you would like to sow a seed, I'm going to let him do that and pray for you. I love you. I'll see you tomorrow. Today, we sow this broadcast into you. Uh, this is something that, that we have a whole team. We, we work hard to make sure the Word of God is put into your homes and into your hands. And, uh, and if the Lord is putting it on your heart to sow into this ministry, uh, we want to encourage you to do that. We want to encourage you to be obedient to the leading of the Lord as the, as the Spirit of God leads you. The Bible says we don't give grudgingly, we don't give under compulsion, but God loves a cheerful giver. God loves, God loves it when he sees someone who wants to partner them, their lives with the kingdom of God, who wants to partner their lives with the kingdom of God uh, financially, uh, with their time. You know, however you, God's leading you to partner with, with this broadcast and with this ministry, we want to encourage you to be obedient to, to God. So uh, here's how you can give today. You can go to giveww.org. Um, we also have a cash app. You can give hashtag give WW. We have Facebook. You can type in hashtag donate. Thank you for that seed, uh, Kevin. Uh, we'll, be, we'll be praying for that. Um, and then uh, you can text to give. It's all right there. We have other ways to give. You can find them all in the live stream description as well. Um, but right now, for those who, who have sowed a seed, those who are about to sow a seed, let's, we just want to pray over that seed and bless it. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for these seeds. Father, thank you that they're not just donations into a nonprofit, but they are seeds sown into the kingdom of God that are going to reap a harvest of blessing. Father God, I pray, Lord, that every seed sown... God, I thank you that your word said it will be pressed down, shaken together, stirring, and it will be pouring out into their laps. God, let the seeds be blessed. God, let the harvest come quickly in the name of Jesus. And I thank you that this is a year for, of increase. This is the year of increase for those who sow, for those who dedicate themselves to the word of God. This is the year of increase to those who sow their time and energy into the kingdom. Thank you for it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Put that in the comments. This is my year of increase. Put in the comments. This is my year to increase. And I believe that this is your year to increase in Jesus' name. Guys, thank you for joining us today again. Tomorrow we have an awesome broadcast for you where, Pastor, or where Brian's going to be talking about how, what is the unpardonable sin? How do you commit the unpardonable sin? It's going to be awesome. Make sure you join us tomorrow. Make sure you share this broadcast with your friends because this is an important word for people to hear. And also, we want to let you guys know, starting next Monday, we're going to be diving into a new series called Stinkin' Thinkin'. You can put that uh, on the screen. Stinkin' Thinkin' is going to be a new series we're going to be talking about next week. Certain mindsets, are, are you in a certain mindset that you don't realize is unbiblical? We'll find out next week in Stinkin' Thinkin'. But guys, until then, we'll see you tomorrow at 1130 for Lunch Plus. We love you guys. We'll see you then.